Are you going to be teaching kindergarten next year for the first time, or do you know someone who is? Teaching kindergarten for the first time can be overwhelming, and maybe you're feeling unsure of where to start. Well, look no further. I have the ultimate survival guide for new kindergarten teachers. I created it based on all the things that you need to rock teaching kindergarten next year. All the things I wish I had known as a brand new kindergarten teacher. Get your mindset ready to tackle the challenges of kindergarten, learn how to set up your classroom for success, and master key strategies for teaching effectively. Plus, prepare for the first week of school like a pro. Don't miss out on this free guide, and please share it with your new teammates and friends who are moving to kindergarten next year. Get ready to embark on an incredible journey in kindergarten education with me as your virtual teammate cheering you on. Download the free guide today at www.kindergartencafe.org slash new dash teacher. That's kindergartencafe.org slash new dash teacher. Welcome to the kindergarten team. Hey, teacher friends. I'm Zeba from the Kindergarten Cafe podcast. Today, I have something a little different for you. I have an interview that I did with a first-year kindergarten teacher, and we talk about all things literacy. She had lots of questions. Obviously, as a first-year teacher, we have many questions, Um, and I did my best to answer them and offer her support in my guiding principle of working smarter, not harder. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast, and let's get to it. You're listening to the Kindergarten Cafe Podcast, where kindergarten teachers come to learn classroom-tested tips and tricks and teaching ideas they can use in their classroom right away. I'm Zeba, creator and founder of Kindergarten Cafe, and I help kindergarten teachers with everything they need from arrival to dismissal in order to save time, work smarter, not harder, and support students with engaging and purposeful lessons. I'm here to cheer you on through your successes and breakthroughs and offer support and resources so you never have to feel stuck or alone. Ready to start saving time and reducing your stress all while using effective and purposeful lessons that students love? Let's get started. Okay, so today it sounded like you wanted to talk about literacy and how to make it work best for you in your classroom and your students. And just to give everyone listening a little context from what you've told me, you have 22 students and you are the only teacher in the room and people listening will know how that feels and know how difficult that is to be the only teacher in the room in kindergarten, especially, but especially with 22 kids as well. So what are some things that you've been trying for literacy? How can I help you? What do you want advice on today? Okay. Yeah. We have been trying reading a story and then um, using that story as kind of a platform to talk about the common core standards that we're trying to address right now are retelling the story, beginning, middle, end, asking and answering questions. And then of course we have more of our like phonics, phonological awareness goals that I try to throw in rhyming um, first and last sound We have a really good phonics curriculum for that, but I also kind of like to pull that in when I'm reading. 
My problem is I feel like I'm kind of recreating the wheel every time I do this. Um, I don't really have a scripted curriculum that I use. And so it's taking me a really long time to plan for that direct instruction of for reading. Absolutely. Yeah, that would take a while to plan each day a new read aloud and a related activity to go with the read aloud. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I've tried, I try to stretch the read aloud at least two days, you know, mm-hmm. so we can get more out of that book. But yeah. Okay. And what happens after that? So the reading block is 30 minutes and then we have kind of a break. They go to recess. And then when they come back, I do writing, which I try to tie that back to the story that we read. And that that block after recess is a full hour. So 30 minutes of writing and then that last 30 minutes I do centers. Mm-hmm. And how do the centers work? So right now is what I'm doing is, you know, that I have five centers, which so that still means there's about four, sometimes five in a center. And I have a document on the smart board that has everybody's pictures and they're in different colored sections. And um, the centers that we have right now are looking at books. So we call them our book bins. We have iPads where I do Khan Academy kids. And then I have literacy tubs and math tubs, and they are, there's six of each, so kids can choose from those. And then puzzles on the floor is my last one. I want to be one of the the centers eventually, but right now my kids aren't independent enough for me to do that. Absolutely. I think you have to get their routine down first before you can start pulling kids in small groups. And I think I'm I'm only just beginning small groups myself. And even then it's sort of a day by day going based on how the feel is in the room during center time. So I think that's totally normal. And where I'm struggling there is what to put in the literacy bins and the math bins to make it to where it's not a ton of work for me to switch it out, how often mm-hmm. I switch it out and it's still engaging and still addressing what they need and they can do it independently. <laughs> Yeah, I I know that struggle because I think I told you this before, but um, when I was first starting teaching, I would be at school six, seven, eight, nine o'clock. Um, and most of that time was spent each week trying to figure out what am I going to put in the station bins for next week and trying to find brand new things each week that I could do. And then you have to teach those brand new things. And right. I'm learning this year. We have a new math curriculum and every day it's a brand new activity and seeing the lack of consistency and routine for my students. And I don't have a very like behavioral group, but I have kids that struggle with directions and understanding activities as any five-year-old would. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see what happens when they don't have that consistent routine in place for an activity that they know how to do every day they're getting new directions right it's a struggle just knowing like compared to how I used to have it where I would only teach a new station maybe once a week Uh and then they'd learn that station and play that station for a long time so they definitely benefit kids benefit from having a very consistent routine and activities that they know so how to work smarter not harder when it comes to centers Definitely. Yes. Okay. And it sounds like too, like your lessons. Mm-hmm. Both. Okay. Yes. So for reading lessons, I think 
it is a great idea for every day to have a read aloud. I'll be honest, sometimes I don't get to a read aloud, but it is a goal of mine to every day have a read aloud. doesn't always happen. But because they learn so much from the vocabulary and you can talk about the comprehension skills and stuff like that. And it's just enjoyable. It's probably like the one time that they're really all listening and engaged. You're shaking your head. Yes. Yeah. For my kids too. And I have a really hard class. I have four kids on formal behavior plans, um, a couple more on IEPs for some specific disabilities. So yes, for me, reading aloud is a time that I can keep their attention. We do have a lot of blurting out during the read alouds, but I think again, they're five. That's pretty, pretty common. We, we've gotten better and, and work through that, but that's still something we're working on is. Absolutely. And you'll be working on that all year. <laughs> um, and I, part of me feels like if they're blurting out things related to the book, that they're excited about the book, like, oh, look, what could, well, I bet this happens next. Isn't that what we want? Ooh. I mean, yeah, we want them to raise their hand. Right. But they're excited about the book. So part of me for that stuff, if I'm like, it's related to the book and their excitement about it, I let that stuff go. Okay. And that's, I do struggle with that. Like how much do you let it go and how much are you consistent on? You have to raise your hand because sometimes I feel like if I respond to one that does Mm -hmm. it, then they all start doing it. You could always just hold a visual of just your hand up, but then you're also like, how often do you want to stop and take comments? Because that can be an endless cycle and then they lose engagement because then you don't finish the book. Right. So it is a tough balance, but I feel like for me, letting a couple excitement things pop up or even, you know, if you know that it's going to be an exciting part, be like, oh, turn to your neighbor and tell them what you're thinking right now or show me on your face how they're feeling or give me a thumbs up what you, you know, if you think this will happen next, like there's ways to do it where everyone's engaged at the same time. But I do let some of that just, I do let some of that blurting out with books specifically. If they're really excited about it, I let some of that stuff go. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. But I do wonder if, because it is hard for you, like if that's a lot to plan for a read aloud and then a related activity, you know, we do want to like obviously read the books before we read them to the kids and think about how best we could use it. But there are days when I don't do that. I just pick up the book <laughs> and I just okay. want to be clear about that. I think sometimes with reading, with read alouds, we are like, I'm going to try and get every little juice out of this that I can for every little, then you ruin the enjoyment of reading sometimes. Sometimes you just want to read a book because the kids love it. Right. Yeah. And I think, oh, I have to point out the characters and what vocabulary and then concepts of print, you know, author, illustrator, it does it. Then it takes a lot. It takes a long time. And I feel like it really stretches them past their attention span. Yeah. So if you can, I would have one focus for each book. And if you like are in the moment thinking, oh, this is a really good thing. Yeah, sure. Add that in. But having one focus and honestly put it on a sticky note or like a tape, like an index card inside the cover or something. So you don't have to do this again next year. (laughs) So you remember what it is that you focused on in the book. Mm -hmm. That's a good idea. And if you have an activity you did with the book, put that in there too with a little paper clip or something. So yeah, having like just one short focus on the book is what I would do. And that will lessen the time. But now is the time of the year where I would start doing more decoding with kids. You and I both do foundations, you said. So um, my kids know almost all the letters, not all of them perfectly. Like we haven't taught all the letters yet. Right. 
But we have enough letters. We have all the vowels. So we can start doing some blending of sounds. Now, it's not when Foundations does it. It is earlier than that. Right. But I, my kids are ready for it. So I tried it out. And very basic. Just some very simple CBC words with the letters that they've learned of just like a, getting in a routine of tapping out the sounds and blending them. And then after we do some of that together, some future lessons would mostly include like a decodable book on the screen. And there's a really good resource that has it online that you can show on your screen. Half pints. Oh, half pints. That's what it is. Half pints. Okay. Half dash pint. And you can project the digital book onto your screen. Nice. And that way you're practicing as a class and they're just, they are very decodable. And so you're practicing as a class how to read the book and how to sound out the words. So will you back up for a second when you were talking about your lesson of just having them tap it out? Like, Mm -hmm. do you have something up? Is this all done just auditorily or what visual are you showing them? How does that look? So I actually just created a new resource on introduction to blending. And it's just a slideshow that has the beginning sound show up. Like, so if I'm doing bat, Mm -hmm. I just have the B. And then I click next as they're tapping. So, and then I add the next letter A, and then I add the next letter T, and they're sounding it out. I really like that way of doing it because normally when I do some decodable stuff, you have kids that can read it and they shout it out and then it's not really practicing it. So I like that it's not giving it away. Mm-hmm. But just so it's just on the screen, simple. But you, what you also could do and what you do later in foundations is taking those letter cards and moving them. Mm-hmm. And you could do that now. Like you don't sure. need a fancy resource. And then I've made other like decodable slideshows that are right now just short vowels and they all start with a warming up blending resource right yeah that sounds great and that's pretty much how I frame my and I I have a scripture curriculum but I don't use it as scripted (laughs) because I don't I don't believe in it (laughs) so I've tweaked it a lot, especially for the unit we're on right now. I've completely like changed it out. So I start out with a blending warm-up of a few words that we're blending out, tapping out, sounding out. And then I teach them one little like teaching point. And again, we zero in on one tiny teaching point for the day. Like there's so much I could teach them, obviously, but I'm focusing on one tiny thing. And then we practice that in our decodable book that I project on the screen. Okay. And you're doing that now? I'm going to start after okay. probably after um definitely after Thanksgiving break. I've just started with some very basic tapping and blending words okay. as like a warm up for it. Sure. So can you give me an example of a skill like what you mean by a, a tiny skill that you would practice during that? Yeah. So I would say when we read, we want to make sure that we point under each word and we slide under the word as we're reading to make sure we hear all the sounds. That's just one lesson. And then we practice it. And then everyone point, you come up and try it. Now I'm going to try it. Now so-and-so has come up and try it. Point under each word. Mm -hmm. And when you're reading today, I'm going to watch you and watch you pointing under your words. Or I might say, when you're reading, you want to, also readers never guess. So we want to make sure we look at all the letters in the word and make sure we sound all those out. That's another lesson. You know, um, we can use trick words that we've learned in class to help us read words. 
uh, in the book. That's our lesson. Mm-hmm. So just very simple. And that's it. That's the lesson. Okay. So foundations hasn't, they don't have you start the trick words until I think third quarter. Yeah, it's very late. So you've started those already with the kids. I do. I had a whole routine that I liked and that worked well for me in my class. So I wasn't going to change it. Sure. I do one trick word a week and I do it with a poem and then like a high frequency sight word book that I've made and they trace it and read it. I'm actually going to work on changing those hopefully this summer because they're not that decodable. But the point of those books are to practice the sight words. But that's something I'm looking into changing. That's a big overhaul project. But (laughs) right now, that's exactly what I do. And that really works for me. I just like that routine. The kids like the families like the poetry folder. We send them home. Like it just it works. I also found that foundations did trick words too late. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's too late for kindergartners, but I do think it's too late for what we're expecting of them to be able to do. Right. Per the standards. Yes. Mm-hmm. And per the assessments. Yeah. If I don't teach the trick words until they say to trick teach the trick words, my kids are set up to fail for the reading assessments. Mm-hmm. That being said, the reading assessments, I don't think, are developmentally appropriate for what kindergartners can actually read. If you're teaching them to actually read and not guess at the words. Right. Because they're set up to literally have kids guess based on the picture. Because... They're having them read words like slide, climb, mm-hmm. you know, truck. And like, I haven't taught them the CK rule yet. I haven't taught them the long I rule, you know, silent E. What are you doing? Cookie. Like what? Oh, yeah. But you can see in the picture, it's clearly a cookie. So I don't, it, it, this is where it's a final of like, I have to do this assessment, but I don't agree with it. Right. And I have expressed disagreement, <laughs> but it's not my call. So that being said, though. My coworker does not teach the trick words until Foundations does it. She does it exactly the way Foundations said. And at the end of the year, our kids were in the same place. So I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to wait because I don't think kids right now, like my kids, the ones that I've taught them are the ones they're going to need to learn. Do I feel like all my students know how to read and write the word the because I taught them that one week? No, because that was so, that was, you know, that's. I'm going to have to keep coming back to that, obviously. I don't think it really clicks for them until later on in the year. But you're introducing it at least. Yeah. I'm introducing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's so that good. could be a lesson in itself. You know, mm-hmm. this is the word the. T-H-E. Let's write it on our lap. Let's write it on the rug in front of us. Let's write it on our hand. Okay. Now we're going to look for the word the in the book that I'm going to show you on the screen. Whenever you see the word the, put your thumb up. Okay. Sure. So then in your reading, you it sounds like you alternate between doing stories and doing more how to read instruction. Because to me, there's the comprehension goals that we have mm-hmm. in, I guess, Common Core, main idea, details, all of that. And then there's the actual reading. So do you kind of alternate back and forth between those two for your reading lesson? Well, starting out the year, I did mostly like read alouds and things. And now I'm going to start after, like I said, after Thanksgiving break, I'm going to start getting into really the nitty gritty of how you read and focusing in on that every day, but finding a different time for a read aloud. Sure. 
But then when is that when you're addressing, you know, the re- retelling a story, beginning, middle, end, main idea and details during a separate read aloud time? Yes and no. I mean, the sort of our next big focus is going to be on how to read. And then after that, I will come back to readers talk about the book that they're reading. Readers tell what happened to their partner. Readers ask their partner questions. We've also done a lot of retelling with the books that we read. That's like our first unit is like reading books and then having them retell them. So we've done a lot of work with that. But it, the comprehension stuff comes back. I would say it's not something that you have to do every you, you can't do every single standard every single day in every single lesson true <laughs> true and so that's why trying to have like one focus in on one standard on one learning target one learning goal is the idea and know that you have all year to come to back to all of those True. Okay. I just was where I'm focusing on those is we have certain um, standards we grade on each report card period. Mm-hmm. So right now for second quarter, those are two that we're grading on. So okay. So then, so keep that in mind too. If that if you're like these are the two I'm grading on, mm-hmm. then I maybe want to do that every I don't pick a day. Every Wednesday is going to be read aloud day. Yeah. And I'm going to focus in on I'm going to alternate between. Retelling and then alternate to comprehension. I like that because then, yeah, when when would I have time to do the actual teaching of reading mm-hmm. if I'm doing those stories and the complicated activities every day? And there is a pl- time and place for those activities. Like I love doing them every now and then. And that like that is different. It's like a change of pace and it's like a fun book related activity. And so I would say just you could still, like I said, if you... Maybe let's say Wednesdays are your book reading day. You'd maybe do one of those activities every Wednesday. But the other days, like just to make it easier for yourself, mm-hmm. you kind of do a routine that even you can get into or you don't have to keep finding new things every day. Right. So with going back to what you said for like your blending warm up and then doing that, I have 30 minutes to fill. Does mm-hmm. that keep, are you able to keep them for that instruction for 30 minutes? So I don't want to keep them on the rug for 30 minutes. No, I don't either. But I guess that's why I don't know what else will fill the, yeah, when you're not having, because I also have the 30 minutes of centers. So are you taking more time for centers then? Well, so it is, it can, they're not connected though, those blocks. My, well, so my writing goes into my center. So the same thing when you're doing a writing instruction, is that taking 30 minutes? So right now I'm alternating. Okay. Um, my I have a morning chunk and like then they go out have snack and recess and then we come back. So before snack and recess, they do foundations, they do phonics, and that's the bulk of my instruction because that's really what they need right now. Mm-hmm. And then I go into either a reading lesson or a writing lesson. And usually there's about 10, 15 minutes left over for them to practice that. And I don't think they need longer than that developmentally. Longer mm-hmm. than that is pulling teeth. And by practice, I mean, if it's reading, they have a book bag, like you said, a book bin, they're going and they're reading in their books. Okay. And right now, not really reading. So that's why I right. wouldn't push them to do more than 10 minutes. Right. But now that we're going to start getting into it, I'm going to start adding decodable books in there for them. Like then we can start doing a little bit longer, but just developmentally, they can't sit and focus for longer than that anyway, right now. So whether they can read or not, 
And same with writing. I'll teach the writing lesson. And then they go off and start writing in their stories for about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. So if I was doing one of these sort of lessons during my reading block, then what would you suggest for the writing block that follows immediately after that? I always feel like it has to tie in. Maybe it doesn't, but I always feel like they have to tie in together. Because I use a curriculum, I've never had them tie in. I do love the idea for young learners of integrated units where let's say it's all on community helpers. You're reading about community helpers. You're writing about community helpers. You're investigating community helpers. I love that for young learners. That's not the way my curriculum is set up. So I don't have that option. (laughs) Sure. Okay. But I do think that makes the most sense for young learners. But that being said, if you're I think for teaching writing as a whole, it makes more sense to sort of stick with the genre of writing and teach into that genre. So it doesn't have to be related to the book. So a quick writing, you know, we're doing true story writing. And the real, the really the goal is, can you write about something that really happened that you're not making it up? Mm-hmm. Can you sort of think of a first thing that happened, a next thing that happened, a last thing that happened? And can you add three labels, including names? of people. Some kids are ready and starting to do sentences. And by a sentence, I mean some uppercase letters strung together with beginning sounds. So like I, I mean, some kids have some ending sounds too, but you know, I had a nightmare would be like I H D N M all put together. Sure. Okay. And that's, that's perfectly acceptable for where they are. That's great. That's a little advanced because And just so everyone listening, I am recording this in November. I don't know when this will air yet. But so just so when this comes out, let's say January, February, my kids will be in a much different place, as will yours. But anyway, um, in November, that's where they are. And that's perfectly acceptable. Okay. And then I'll start teaching them more about like what it means to write a sentence, what a sentence is, how we write a sentence. And I love the connection that you could definitely do with foundations with the sentences that they they do like they only do it once a week, but that's mm-hmm. a great connection to writing because they're actually learning about spaces and, you know, the idea of a word, you know, where one word starts and one word stops. Much more valuable, I think, than some of the other writing lessons that are out there on that same topic. <laughs> okay. okay. So I for you for writing, if it works right now to just connect it to your book, if that's the way your brain is thinking go with it. You don't have a curriculum to use. You're doing the best you can and you've never done this before. So work smarter, not harder. Okay. If that's working for you, keep it, keep doing it. If you're feeling like every day to come up with a new activity for writing, then let's change it up. Like if it's a burden. You know, I think my brain, the way, the way I think and the way I want to teach is I want it to be more systematic because like today, for example, we read a book, the turkey, um, what is it? Um, How to Catch a Turkey. And we talked about beginning and middle. And then I had a sheet for them that had, um, it was one of the foundations papers that have the foundations lines and it had a big picture at the top. And we talked about what the end was. And we did some hand up, stand up pair for what the end was. So we knew they all knew that at the end he got on the stage So then they went to their desk and they were to draw a picture. I modeled this on the smart board first, but draw a picture of the turkey at the end, what he did on the top. And then I had a sentence stem already Mm -hmm. uh, 
pre-populated in there for them that said at the end, the turkey. So that part they just traced. Mm -hmm. And then they had to write, like you said, the kind of sentences where they just put the sounds down on the stage as best they could. So that's what I did today. But I felt like I had to come up with all that. Do you know what I mean? It was Yeah, that sounds like a lot of coming up with, if that's what you're doing every day for each book. Yes. That's a lot. And like we talked about, the kids aren't really getting in a routine then where they can be more independent. Right. So what would be a way to simplify that, I guess? So I think that's where sort of sticking to one genre does help because you can really like get into this is how we write as opposed to every day being like, this is what I want us to write about and let's think of an idea. And so generally the first couple of lessons in a new genre are this is what this genre is. Like this is what, how to write, like our next one, well, one of the ones coming up would be like how-to writing. And there's a lot of how-to books. So I would read them how-to books. Like, this is how-to writing. This is writing in steps. This is giving directions. And then let them go off and write it. And then I do lessons on how to think of their own ideas. Like, here are some, let's brainstorm ideas of things you're an expert on. Or if you're doing true story, let's brainstorm a list of things that really happened to us in school that we could write about. And then they go off and write. And then you do lessons on, within that, on how to write a sentence. And, you know, one lesson would be, and I'm not saying to do it right now, but like maybe uh, I would start in mid-December or January being like sentences have uppercase at the start and then all the rest are lowercase. Another lesson, sentences have finger spaces in between our words. Let's try that. Sentences have periods at the end or an exclamation mark if we're really excited. Let's try that. You know, each one of those things is its own lesson. You want to keep it short and sweet. You want to show them how to do it. Then you want them to go practice it. So when they're going to practice, are they? do they have a journal they're writing this in? Or what? where are they putting their writing? So a journal would totally work. You want to think about what's going to work best for you, your materials, your room. I use a folder because I that's what we're given. But they keep their paper in there. One side is like, I'm working on this. One side is I'm done with this. And then at the end of every unit, we send them all home. And sometimes I'll have them like fancy one up and publish it and share it. And sometimes that's too much and we don't do that. (laughs) But I can also like sort of stick things in the folder. Like I have little pockets, but you could also just staple a, what's sort of looking for, a sheet protector to the back. Mm -hmm. And you could stick an alphabet chart in there. Or you could stick the list of words that you've taught them. Or you could stick um, a picture of, a chart you made in there. But I do love having the alphabet chart in there for them as a resource. Yeah. Or those yeah. foundations, like how to write the letters, put that in there. Right. Um, okay. So that's why I like the writing folder. Then you just need, like you said, that foundations writing paper and have that so that they can get a couple pieces at a time and sit down and write. Okay. And you don't have anything modeled up there for them to look at? They're just on their own when they write? No, they're on their own. And so the idea is that they're coming up with their own idea, which in Mm -hmm. some genres, it's much easier than others. Mm -hmm. But I do what I do like doing is before every writing lesson, I do a writing warm-up where I have a prompt and I tell them the prompt and they turn and talk to their partner and they tell their story. Mm -hmm. And I like that better because the kid's always benefit from 
doing something orally first before asking them to read it or write it. And so for them to practice their story out is really helpful. And for the kids that sit there that don't have an idea in their head for the whole class of what to write, those are the ones who really benefit from that warm-up because you can say, hey, remember we talked about the story of the time, you know, we shared a story about a time you went outside and you talked about how you went riding your bike this weekend. Let's write about that. And so they have that fresh in their brain of like, oh, this is a story I can tell. Sure. I like that. And it's practicing oral language too, which we know they don't, I feel like they don't get enough opportunities to do. And never, <laughs> never enough. Yeah. What about, are they illustrating as well? Yeah. So that is a main focus is okay. doing their pictures and having their pictures have lots of details. Yep. So that's why I do a lot of work about drawing in the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm even going to revisit it and go back and do even more work because they're starting to get a little sloppy. But I really want them to have detailed pictures because they can't have detailed words right now. Okay. And so it helps them to think later on when they can have more detailed words, when they have a really detailed picture, they can go back and be like, oh, I remember there was a tree and I can add that detail to my writing. Okay. Yep. So it's more, and that's kind of what ours were. They're they're spending more time on their picture just because that's where they're at right now. And then the words are, we're sca- I'm scaffolding what they need to get whatever we can on the page. But with 22 and me, I can't, that's hard too, to try to go around and help everybody try to get some letters down or words yeah, down. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's why for some kids that are just drawing, great. They're doing mm-hmm. something, they're sitting, they're quiet. Awesome. Because you can't be everywhere. Right. And eventually you can go around and meet with, you know, a table. I try to meet with like a table a day. And, but that doesn't always happen. But I do try to just check in with each table and check in with them. And like, I give them a writing goal that I put on their folder. And the goal is very specific. For most kids right now, it's I can add three labels to my picture. Because a lot of my kids are very comfortable. And I've been many, I see this every year. They're very comfortable with just drawing and not adding any words, not trying something that's hard. And so to say, this is your writing goal to add three labels. And then when they come to you and say, I'm done, you could say, well, did you do your writing goal? Right. I like that. That's a good place to start. Yeah. And some of them, the writing goal is I can add lots of shapes to my picture. Some of the writing goals are um, I can write a sentence. Just depends on where they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. And my writing, I guess I had never thought of just letting them write. We don't get into the genres of writing until third quarter, I think, is where we start the how-to. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what fourth quarter is. but like Probably opinion now, writing. Yep, I think you're right. So for now, if I just did... True stories. True stories, something that really happened to you. Yeah, or even like, I think it's super easy for kids to write about, to just say like, write about things you know. Mm-hmm. Some of that might be like, I know a lot about Minecraft, so I'm going to write a book about Minecraft. Great. Because I just want you to practice writing. But then another good genre for kids, and it is, I'm pretty sure one of those common core standards, is like narrative writing. So that idea yeah. of true story writing. Um, write about something that really happened to you. It has to be a time you did something or a, a time you went somewhere. And are you doing lots of modeling of that for them? And like you said, mentor, mentor texts and... Yeah, I 
slipped away on the mentor text. For narrative writing, it's just hard because this, the kind of story writing that I want them to do is not going to be anything like an example book of narrative writing. So I tend to do a example for them myself, but I don't like do the whole book. I'll do like a page. Maybe I have, over a couple of days, we'll do the whole book, but I don't want to like waste the precious time that they're sitting on the rug modeling the whole thing. Right. I might do one like a small group, like do a book together. Yeah. So I do modeling of like a, a book with them or like snippets of an example. Like I love to show examples of kindergarten writing too that I could, that has the example of what I'm teaching about that day, like adding labels. Look, this person added labels. Or this is my picture. Help me add some labels because I already have the picture down for them. Right. I don't want to spend the time drawing for them. Right. Um, but as we get into other the other genres, I absolutely use mentor text for sure. And that would be a good way to connect your reading and writing. Sure. In your writing folder, is it just when you said story, them writing a story, do they have several loose pages that then they'll staple together for a story? Yeah. So I've taught them that most, you know, stories have a a first thing to happen, a next thing, and a last thing, or beginning, middle, and end. And once you have that, you can staple the pages together. And they really like being able to staple it themselves. They are very excited about that. I bet. I bet. Yes. And of so, course, you have the stapler jams every now and then. But uh huh. So there's just loose pages in there for them to use. Um, I actually have a drawer of writing paper. So oh, they when they're ready, them. they go up and get the writing paper themselves. Okay. These little management things sound, I mean, I feel silly asking them, but those are the things that I feel like as a new teacher really tri trip you up, you know, Absolutely. things like if you don't, with kindergarten, if it's not so thought out exactly how you're going to give them the materials or where it's going to mm -hmm. be, when they can access it, I feel like mm -hmm. that's things can really fall apart on you. Well, it's good that you're thinking that through because you're right. If you're just like, you know, and I've, I've been there, I've done it. Especially as a newer teacher, but even even every now and then, I'm like, "Yeah, go do it." Oh my gosh, whoa, whoa, whoa! I did not think that through. Yeah, <laughs> I did not tell you all those positions. Come back, come back to me. Let's try that again. Yeah, even still, I have those moments. But yeah, so you're right to think that through. Of where are they going to get the paper? How am I going to give it out to them? You know, all that stuff. Okay, sure. I think we're going to pause here because. We are done mostly talking about reading and writing lessons as a whole group, and we're going to move into talking about center time. And this has been a great conversation, but it is a little bit longer than my normal episode. So I'm going to pause it here and we'll catch back up next week with our conversation about centers and how to make centers work for us in the classroom and all the best ways to think about centers. So if you liked this kind of podcast, send me a DM, send an email, leave a rating. Let me know if you've liked it and you want to hear more conversations with other teachers like it. That would help me in all of my podcast planning. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Kindergarten Cafe podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and resources or just head straight to kindergartencafe.org for all the goodies. If you liked this episode, the best ways to show your support are to subscribe, leave a review, or send it to a friend. I'll be back next week with even more kindergarten tips. See you then.